0: welcome to the garden basics with farmer fred podcast if you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information well you've come to the right spot master gardener and professional houseplant expert Ann asmus talks about the pros and cons of fertilizing your houseplants, as well as problems you might be facing using some tap waters on those plants college horticulture professor retired debbie flower sheds light on one listener's dilemma Great-looking pole bean plants, but there's no beans this year. Where are the beans? Debbie lists several possibilities that could be the culprit. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the Abutilon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's episode 146 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by SmartPots, and we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center we're talking with master gardener and houseplant expert Lorianne Asmus about fertilizing your houseplants fertilizer oh crap fertilizer well fertilizer is easy okay you just... crap is fertilizer <laughs> but if you apply it in the house it just stinks to I know holy it's hell not
1: good They're kind of like fish emulsion same kind of thing whatever you have as fertilizer there's many different complete fertilizers on the market Um, use half of whatever's recommended. So if the, if it says one teaspoon to the gallon, use half a teaspoon to the gallon. Plants would prefer to have a smaller meal more often than, um, a lot all at once. It's easier for them to absorb and use for their photosynthetic processes. Uh, we fertilize from March through October. And from October to March, we do not fertilize. And it's because the plants are really more or less dormant at that time. Even though they're indoors, and this seems a little bit counterintuitive, they're not really very active. And a lot of it has to do with the shortened days, not so much the temperature, which we control, of course. So those shortened days drive this and genetics, of course, uh, drive this this kind of semi-dormancy. So the roots aren't growing, the, 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 the leaves aren't growing, they do not need fertilizer. If you fertilize in the winter, you're taking a big chance, and plus you're not watering as often, so you're not leaching out the soil, you're taking a big chance on building up soluble salts in the soil, which will eventually accumulate in the leaf tips and cause that leaf burn that we all love so much.
0: I would think one would use a fertilizer labeled for houseplant use. Yes. You would follow label directions. Half. Half. And how often would you apply it according to lab- label directions? I, mean, I guess theoretically, if it's a weak enough solution, you could apply it with every watering.
1: Yeah. A lot of times they'll say, put it in your water, or they'll say, do it once a month, or whatever they whatever they say on the directions, and they're different from from product to product. And that's why I don't want to really say exactly exactly. I usually only fertilize once a month unless I have uh, a plant that's in a like a western or a southern exposure full sun where it's really active and it's really using a lot of uh, water, in which case I might fertilize a little more often.
0: Oh, we have a question come in. Uh, It's from Fred in Folsom, and he wants to know, I don't fertilize my houseplants and they look fine.
1: You're not the only one. How do you know it's from me?
0: It it could be any Fred in Folsom.
1: Fred is not the only one who doesn't fertilize. And in fact, a lot of times people are like, oh, I don't fertilize. And they feel so guilty and they act like, oh, wow, they're just this bad person because that no fertilization is not the most important part of indoor plant care. It really isn't. There are. A group of people in our industry, actually, who believe that fertilization is just not necessary, that it's a waste of money. And primarily because fertilization encourages growth, which a lot of times in our job, we don't want. We want the plant to go in, meet our design needs and stay that way for a very, very, very long time. Now, what I have experienced, though, is that I don't get the performance that I want out of the plant in terms of greenness, green coloring and possibly blooming, which is just, it's kind—it's not a regular thing, but with the orchids and bromeliads and stuff like that, it seems like fertilization has also a little bit of a protective capacity. In other words, the cells are a little bit stronger and they're a little more resistant to disease and insects. And one of the reasons that I suggest that you only use half is not just because of the buildup of soluble salts, but also because the plant really doesn't need that much just to maintain its health without major growth. If you're looking to have something grow like a foot or two feet like this month, okay, it's probably not going to be healthy growth to begin with, but you may want to fertilize a little bit more.
0: What are the NPK numbers you look at when shopping for houseplant fertilizer? Single digits, double digits, what? NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium.
1: Right. No, those those numbers for a houseplant need to be single digits. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, we might use something 532 or something like that. The numbers are very low. And really, that's a better bet. If you do make a mistake and use too much, you're not going to be doing too much damage. The other thing is, is that there's a lot of micronutrients. And it really is important to to uh, to make sure that you've got some of those micros in your fertilizers as well. I love Dynagro.
0: I was going to ask you, among... Y- the professionals who take care of houseplants for a living in, in commercial buildings, as you do, what are some of their choices in, in the way of fertilizers?
1: Well, I don't really know about other people because. You're a hermit? I, no, I just don't care what they do so much. So you use Dynagrow. I I use DynaGro because I've tried a lot of different products, and this is the one that I like. D-Y-N-A You can find it online. Fairly local. I think the guy's like in Richmond or something like that. Genius guy. I mean, a lot of the orchid growers use them for their, you know, they have like an orchid formulation. He also has something called pH Down, which is um, a product that'll bring the pH down just a tiny bit under seven, which limits fluoride uptake, which is a huge problem in our area and causes a lot of problems with some of my favorite house plants. Yeah. Um, and so pH down is good. And then there's another one called Protect, which is with a K-T-E-K-T, which is a silica-based product. And it helps beef up the cell walls and makes them more cold and heat tolerant and also more resistant to Insects that might suck on the cells or whatever they. It be I think fun. they're
0: called sucking insects.
1: Sucking insects. Those sucking insects. Yes. Thank you very much. Jeez. <laughs> All right.
0: I mean, you've been recommending Dynagro uh, and Protect for 20, 30 years now, yes. and that's fine. So I think it's 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 passed the Lorian Asmith <laughs> seal of approval for houseplant fertilization. For those of you that do fertilize your houseplants, yes. so that, and that's a good thing. Well,
1: and it doesn't stain.
0: All right. Fluoride and water. Oh. Tap water. Should I be using municipal tap water to water my houseplants, or should I start buying gallons of distilled water?
1: That really depends on how many plants you have and how committed you are. Now, distilled water is really not necessarily the best answer because, of course, you don't have any minerals. You don't have anything in that. You have water. Yeah, that's true. And But you would have to modify my fertilizer recommendations a little bit. I mean, because you have to add everything in, you know, the plant's getting nothing from... Well, a little bit maybe from the soil, but even not much from soilless mixes as far as that goes. I don't generally recommend distilled water unless it's a very tender plant. Say you've got something that you're going to take uh, and and enter it into a competition at the fair or something like that. Or you're going to enter, you know, you've got an orchid or, or as I say, like a bromeliad or something that's very tender that you're trying to take really good care of. But if you've got as many plants as, say, I do, you're not going to go buy, you know, 10 gallons of distilled water every week. That's not going to happen fluoride is a problem. There's a couple things you can do about it. One is you can lower the pH, even lowering the pH from seven, which is neutral to like 6.8 or 6.5 will limit the fluoride uptake which is really important reverse osmosis if you decide that you want to do something with the water that you already have will take out about 60% of the fluoride the other thing that you can do is you can increase calcium you can actually add calcium and well there's a lot of different forms I mean what outdoors what would you use like um, <laughs> whatever comes out the hose? Yeah. Adding calcium to the soil mix, small amounts of calcium will also limit fluoride uptake. It binds with the fluoride. So there's some things that you can do. Can you uh, boil the water? No. In fact, leaving the water sit out like what you do for chlorine mm-hmm. abatement just concentrates it. It's a heavy element. And so it's, it's not going to, it's not going to off gas like the chlorine will. It just concentrates it. So that's not going to help. Boiling is not going to help.
0: Is there a water you recommend buying?
1: Even just a spring water that you know what's in there. You know, uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Don't leave us in a vacuum here. Okay, but here again, in a vacuum, a fluoride vacuum. Um, Anyway, the thing is, is that if you go and buy a spring water, you want to make sure you know what's in it. Because you don't want to be fertilizing with something that's...
0: Have you looked at a spring water label lately? It just says bottled at the purest source you
1: have to look it up online
0: yeah
1: and hope that it's true this is hard well you know the thing is to see what we do i mean i probably go through 60 or 80 gallons of water a day Mm -hmm. in my job so i don't think about any of that i just try to work with what i have and amend it accordingly.
0: What about if I get the Brita water pitcher out from the uh, refrigerator and uh, use that water that's been filtered? Is that a better choice?
1: You know, I don't know the answer to that.
0: Okay, fair enough. I know it takes chlorine chlorine out, but I'm not sure what it does about fluoride, for example.
1: Yeah, I I don't I don't know the answer to that. Um, okay. The other thing that you can do. That's probably a little bit easier, uh, if you don't have too many houseplants is to just make sure that you leach out the soil on a fairly regular basis. Because what happens with fluoride, it builds up in the plant tissues as well as in the soil, right? And so the spotting and the, the tissue dieback that you get is basically from the fluoride building up in the, in the tissue of the plant. And the plant doesn't, can't get rid of it. It doesn't break it down. It doesn't get rid of it. It just, It just interferes with all the normal processes of the plant. And that's why you get that spotting, especially in older foliage and uh, in an older plant. So
0: by flushing it out, though, as you brought up several minutes ago, yes. is is better for the plant's overall health because you are saturating the entire root ball when you're flushing out the old water and putting in more new fluoride.
1: Well, it, at least it's 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 flushing through and it's not building up. That's the pro. That's what what really causes a lot of problems because it is a highly charged ion and it sticks around. You have to do something in order for it not to just. Be in quantities that are harmful to the plant. So the leaching process helps. It pulls some of that stuff out so that there's room for something else on those soil particles and thus absorbable by the roots. It's
0: Lorian Asmus, Master Gardener, Emerald City Interior Landscape Services owner, House Plant Queen. Thank you for all the good information.
1: <laughs> You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>
0: There was an unanswered question in that segment about fertilizing houseplants. Does a Brita water filter remove fluoride, which just might be harmful to houseplants? Well, we have that answer for you. It's available in the latest Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter from Substack. Also in the latest newsletter edition, more information about Loriann's favorite houseplant fertilizers, as well as more about using inoculants when planting nitrogen-fixing cover crop seeds. As the newsletter grows, so will the subject matter. So, yes, it's going to be a very good supplement for the Garden Basics podcast, but there will be a lot more garden related material in there, including pictures and maybe a mini podcast or video garden tips as well. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter on Substack. And best of all, it's free. There's a link in today's show notes. Or just go to substack.com and do a search for Garden Basics with Farmer Fred. That's substack.com slash garden basics. And garden basics is one word. Think of it as your garden resource that goes beyond the basics. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter, and it's free. Smart Pots, it's the original award winning fabric planter. It's sold worldwide, and smart pots are proudly made 100% in the USA. Smart pots, by the way, are BPA free with no risk of chemicals leaching into your soil, your herbs, vegetables, and other edibles. That's why organic growers prefer smart pots. And they last for years. Some gardeners have been using the same smart pots for over a decade. SmartPots breathable fabric creates a healthy root structure for plants. Because the fabric breathes, smart pots are better suited than plastic pots, especially for really hot and really cold climates. And unlike a plastic pot, the fabric won't crack or break from frost or when dropped. For more information, visit SmartPots.com Fred. And don't forget that slash Fred part, because on that page are details of discounts when you buy smart pots at Amazon visit smartpots.com slash fred we answer your questions here on the garden basic podcast a lot of ways to get those questions in as you know you can go to speakpipe.com slash garden basics and just uh, talk into your computer or your smartphone and it'll it'll get to me phone sure call 916-292-8964 leave your message 916-292-8964 if you want pictures to send in well text us that's very same uh, question with the pictures at 916-292-8964 email sure fred at farmer you can also leave a message on the uh, get growing with farmer fred facebook page or at farmer fred on twitter and on instagram to Farmer Fred Hoffman. A lot of ways to get your questions in. Melody sends us an email. Melody lives in Sacramento, and she says, I'm asking why I'm getting no beans from these plants who look so healthy, and they have tons of blooms. They are Romano pole beans planted from four-inch containers back in April. I water them with a drip system every day for about 45 minutes. Do you recommend getting my soil tested for next year? Because I'm getting no beans. What's the beans
2: on this one, Debbie Flower, our favorite retired college horticultural professor? Those plants do look healthy. Oh, they sure do. They're, they're climbing up a trellis and they've got great green leaves. She says they have lots of flowers. I take her word for it. Uh, I can sympathize, actually. I grew Kentucky Wonderpole beans and went a long time early in the season without any beans on the on the vines I just was I just sort of gave up and said it's a pretty plant I guess I'm not going to have a bean crop this year so I as I said I empathize with with Melody what I believe happened to mine and is probably happening to Melody because she doesn't live very far from me is that the pollen is dying young pollen is alive And it is only ready to pollinate the flower and and make a baby, which would be the bean in this case, for a very short period of time each day. That's typically in the morning. And as the temperatures get hotter and hotter, the pollen dies. So beans typically do not pollinate over temperatures when temperatures are over 90 degrees Fahrenheit. We've had a lot of hot weather here, and and that, uh, I believe, is why the beans have not I have not gotten a lot of beans off of my plant. Another thing to consider, a couple things, but another thing is all plants go through a juvenile phase. Juvenile meaning they cannot reproduce. So they can't make fruit and flower flowers and fruit and seed. And that is when the plants are young. So she and I as well may have been expecting beans a little too early on the plant. It's a pole bean. They get very tall. And it may be that we expected beans when it got to four feet tall and that plant was still a juvenile it had not reached maturity yet uh so that's one possibility then when it did get tall enough old enough got into its sexual reproductive phase so it flowered and hers are flowering it was too hot and then we they would don't set beans when they're too hot the other thing is 45 minutes of water every day seems like a lot um,
0: it's drip but even so even if it's one gallon emitters that's still three quarters of a gallon per every day. day every day
2: yes i would drop back to every other day at least um, and I know for me if i grow beans next year I'm going to do, go back to bush beans <laughs> <laughs> because now i am getting some beans but they're way up there i have to get a ladder to harvest and so i'm just letting them go that's the other thing if you do get a bean and and hers are Plants are close together, as are mine, and when I did start getting beans, some of them were so covered by the foliage on the outside, I didn't know they were there. And in a bean plant, if you've got a, a bean on the vine, the plant stops producing other beans. It's done its job, it's made its babies, and so it doesn't need any more. So you have to harvest beans all the time, very regularly. Pole beans are a little difficult that way, because there's, the beans are now above our head. I would think they would be hungry, hungry hippos too, uh, in, in <laughs> meaning that, meaning that they're they're going
0: through all that reproduction and produce production of beans that uh,
2: beans would be heavy feeders. Beans are nitrogen fixers, though. Mm-hmm. So I I have not given fertilizer at all to mine. I have fertilized my cucumbers and my squash, my tomatoes, but I have not fertilized my beans. The nitrogen fixing is a natural process that they do with a bacterium that they coexist with in the soil. Uh, And but that needs in some if your soil has never had beans in it before, you may need to inoculate your seed when you plant it and you can buy the inoculum. It's a black powder, usually at your wherever you buy your seed. And when you go to plant the plants, you just uh, dampen them slightly You're not planting plants. When you go to plant the seeds, you dampen them slightly, shake them in a bag of the inoculum and put them in the ground. And that's the bacterium. The bacterium gets food, sugars basically, from the bean plant. And in exchange, it fixes nitrogen. Fixing nitrogen means it reacts the nitrogen with another uh, element. Oxygen is a possibility. And it creates uh, a little nodule on the roots and stores it there. And that can be used actively by the plant when you take the beans out you can maybe there's excess fixed nitrogen on the roots of those beans and so you want to leave those roots or if you're curious dig the roots up and look at them and see if you've got nodules on those roots
0: so basically at the end of the season don't yank out the plant just cut it off at the base exactly all right i have a question yes how do bacteria live in a bag sitting on a shelf in a nursery for who knows how long
2: in a in a, a dormant state yeah yeah. Uh, it, it's a product for a while. Was Nurseries weren't selling it because it has a shelf life. It can't live forever. And people weren't knowledgeable about the inoculum. So they weren't buying it. So the nurseries were, were losing money on the product. Then you started talking about it on your radio show. And I noticed it started showing up again <laughs> at nurseries. So if you don't see it when you buy your beans, ask your nursery person. Let them know that you would like to inoculate. And it's a specific inoculum for beans. Right. And it's usually applied with
0: beans that are cover crops that you coat with that inoculum in order to uh, really improve the nitrogen in your soil.
2: Right. Increase the amount of nitrogen that those plants are going to put in the ground. A lot of for if you're growing it for a crop, there's going to be a, a lot of what those the bacterium has stored in the roots of the bean will be used to make the bean seeds themselves. When you're doing a cover crop, you typically cut the cover crop right. down before it flowers and fruits or just as it's beginning to flower. And more of that nitrogen stays in the roots. And so you do enrich your soil uh, with th- those cover crops.
0: Yeah. The other thing I learned about uh, cover cropping when you go to cut down the cover crop after or before it gets to 50 percent bloom is when you hack it back into small pieces. Don't let it just lay on the surface. Cover it with something because the nitrogen can escape.
2: Yes. Nitrogen can volatilize, which means become a gas. That's where most of the nitrogen exists on Earth is as a gas in the air. So and it's for plants to get it. It has to be fixed. It has to be attached. The nitrogen atom has to be attached to something else to make it heavy so the plants can get it.
0: Where do you store bagged bacteria at home? I mean, a bag of inoculum,
2: if you're going to plant beans to eat, you're not going to use very much of it. No, co- you buy a small bag. It's not a very big bag. Yeah. You use it. Uh, you wait to see that your crop came up. I would store it in the refrigerator. You mm, use it okay. and wait to see if that your crop came up. You got what you want then you sprinkle it on the ground and walk away.
0: OK, so, yeah, don't throw it away. Just uh, put it back Spread in the it soil. Out. Yeah, because mm-hmm. who knows who's still alive? in And there.
2: don't keep it for next year because it won't
0: last. Another good reason to date everything you buy at a nursery mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and make sure that what you have uh, isn't too old and that's especially true of garden chemicals. We learned a lot about beans today, Melody. I hope uh, that helps you out and uh, your your flowers uh, come to fruition.
2: Yeah, good luck. I feel your pain.
0: Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday. It's brought to you by Smart Pots. Garden Basics is available wherever podcasts are handed out, and that includes Apple, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Google, Podcast Addict, CastBox, and Pocket Casts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.